So back when I was in seminary in my 20s and happened to be living in New York for a little bit, um, as one does in your 20s, you socialize, you, you meet other people, you visit with people at parties or you meet up in a bar. And I found an interesting experience. Now, there's always that moment, and DC has this moment too, where people eventually ask, what do you do? And so people would ask me, what do you do? And I would say, well, I'm in divinity school. I'm in seminary, training to be a priest. And I found, pretty predictably, there was one of two responses that would happen every time. Either the person would go away to the far end of the room, and I wouldn't see them again, or they would open up and tell me their whole life story and all of the deep spiritual experiences that they had ever had. Well, it seems to me that in the world out there, there is a fear of going deep. And also, there is a great hunger, a hunger to go deep in a, the world, a, world that the, a way that the world rarely does these days. David, Bro David Brooks wrote a piece in the New York Times that just came out where he uh, deals with new developments in the evangelical church. And he mentions a phrase by uh, one of these scholars who's watching the development of everything um, that caught his attention. And the phrase was, modernity has peaked. And Brooks goes on to say, the age of the autonomous individual the age of the narcissistic self, the age of consumerism and moral drift has left us with bitterness and division, a surging mental health crisis and people just being nasty to one another. Millions are looking for something else, some system of belief that is communal, that gives life transcendent meaning. We hear about this miracle today where Jesus is calling his disciples. And it's slightly an unusual story where the, the first part of the story, uh, we have Jesus followed by the multitudes, so many people that it's a problem. And he can barely even teach because he is being so crowded. But he finds two boats that are not occupied right on the shore of the lake. And he gets into one of them. And it turns out the owner of that boat, a fisherman named Simon Peter, uh, it, he comes over and Jesus asks if he will put the boat out a little into the water. So then Jesus teaches the same multitudes, but from that distance of being on that boat, seated as he teaches them all, offering them the word of God, as it is described in the book of Luke. And then, then once he has finished, he says to Simon Peter, now take this boat out to the deep water and put out your nets for a catch. Simon Peter always has interesting responses and it never goes super smoothly with him. And he says, well, we've been fishing all night long and we've caught nothing, but if you say so, sure, let's try it. So they go out to the deep water, they put out the nets, and they catch so many fish that the nets are breaking. And then the other boats come to help out. They put so many fish into all the boats. The boats are starting to sink. It feels dangerous, but it's also bountiful. It's exciting. 
Now remember, we're still in the season of Epiphany, and at this moment, there is a discovery, which is what Epiphany means, where Simon Peter suddenly looks at Jesus and realizes he is much more than he had ever expected him to be, and he falls down at his knees. He says, get away from me because I am a sinful man. Essentially, he says to Jesus, he is not worthy. And Jesus, of course, responds with the words, do not be afraid. And then he says, I will make you now be a fisher of people. It's good to realize whenever you read about a miracle in the Gospels, they're never just about the miracle. It's not a magic trick just for the sake of showing off. The miracles almost always are there to show something. They are signs. So what does this miracle show? Jesus is beckoning us to go to the deeper waters. The deeper waters where there could be some danger, but where there is fruitfulness if we have the courage to go out. And not only to go ourselves, but to invite others to that place as well. Well, this is February, and it is Black History Month. And some have noted that Black History Month is the shortest month of the year. But originally, it started out as Black History Week, and it has its origins here in D.C. with a man named Carter G. Woodson. You can actually go. You can see where, where Woodson lived, and he had his office. And, and from that location, um, he became an advocate for people studying and celebrating black history. Woodson, Woodson himself was born 10 years after the Civil War. His parents had been enslaved. And he worked as a coal miner for a time till he saved up enough money he could put himself into school. And at the age of 20, he went to high school and then carried on into higher education and eventually got his PhD from Harvard. He became only the second African-American to get a PhD from Harvard, second only to W.E.B. Du Bois. He went on to become a prolific scholar and writer and a public intellectual. And, and what he had to say about black history and its importance was this. He said, it is not so much a Negro History Week as it is a History Week. We should emphasize not Negro history, but the Negro in history. What we need is not a history of selected races or nations, but the history of the world, void of national bias or race hatred or religious prejudice. In another place, he says about the importance of doing this, he says, if a race has no history, if it has no worthwhile tradition, it becomes a negligible factor in the thought of the world, and it stands in danger of being exterminated. We have to go deep. We have to look at what is true and to honor and to uplift those who have been left in the shadows, and who have not had their stories told. In this deep water will be scary to some, but powerful for all. 
And only by going there can we receive the possibility of a future that doesn't look like the past. Boston Globe editor and columnist Renee Graham made this statement this week. She said, the greatest trick that white supremacy ever pulled was convincing the world that talking about racism is more dangerous than racism. Here at St. John's, we'll be looking at our own history, going into the deep waters, and discovering what the, what the history is for our beloved church with racist systems and ideas and slavery itself. And we'll do it because we can't bring healing and reconciliation unless we begin with truth. Jesus not only said to go to the deeper waters and to not be afraid, but he also said another thing. He said, the truth will set you free. And we are not to be shallow fishermen. The deep waters are beckoning to us all. And Jesus will show us the way to them and where there will be a bountiful catch waiting for us. Amen.